Hi, and welcome to the Crossroads Generation Go podcast. We hope and pray and believe that this message will challenge you, impact you, and encourage you. And if you'd like to know more about us, you can go to www.crossroadslismore.com. We just pray. Father, we just thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you, Father, for this, this year that we've, we've walked through. But, Lord, we haven't walked alone. We've walked with you. And, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for what you're, you're doing now and, and what you're birthing in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for the days ahead. We thank you for the year ahead, this new year that's coming. And, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would have your way. And that, Lord, that we would continue just to humble ourselves before you. And that, Father, just as I share these things today, Holy Spirit, I just pray that, um, Lord, that I would just share just what you would have me to share. And, Lord, that we would just be able to receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, the book of Exodus would have to be probably one of my favorite books. I love it, and I've spent many times just going through it. And it's more than just a book. You know, when you think of the Old Testament books, maybe um, Leviticus even and Exodus, you think, well, it's just a book made up of rules and it's about laws and regulations and about what you can do and can't do, etc., etc. And obviously there's those detailed things in there, but really the book of Exodus is not that at all. It's a book where God is revealing his heart, he's revealing his ways. It's a book that's speaking about how um, God is wanting to draw people to himself and bring people into relationship. You know, we see that there's this, in the context, it's like God reaching out to his people, his chosen people in Egypt and drawing them out to himself that he can have this relationship with him. It's a book that, that speaks of or points towards or prophetically speaks of Jesus. It talks about salvation and deliverance and healing and wholeness. And so for that, you know, I'm just, I love it. I love thinking about it. I love reading it. And in particular there, it talks about how in Exodus, God has like a promised land for the children of Israel. He had a promised land. You and I, in a sense, have these promises from God. But the first thing that God wanted to do before he brought them into the promised land was bring them to himself. He wanted the children of Israel to encounter him before they encountered his promises. What we can say then is promises precede relationship. If not, we can fall into the trap of putting the promises of God before, the intimacy, before intimacy with God. And when we do that, what we're actually doing is we're asking God to perform for us. God perform. God do this. God do that. And then when God doesn't do that or perceives like he doesn't do that, well, we fall into a bit of a heap, don't we? We can then have issues with God in a sense. God, why didn't you? God, why didn't this happen? God, how could you? God, I don't even know if you exist. God, I don't even know if you're a good God because I wanted you to perform like a genie in a bottle and you didn't. And so God's intention is always to bring people to himself before he brings them into the promise. 
Sometimes I suppose we could say that we've experienced God's promises and we've experienced answered prayer and you know, we could probably be honest and say, I'm a bit immature. But you know what? That's, that, that does happen and God is a good God. He's merciful. Things like that take place for various reasons because he knows our hearts. But at the end of the day, when you look at Exodus and you actually look at the Bible in itself, it's always about God wanting to, or us to encounter him, to have relationship with him and the promises, in a sense, are secondary. Although secondary is probably not a good word, it was important that they came into, and the children of Israel came into their promised land. There's no doubting that. But relationship comes first. So let's turn to Exodus chapter 33. I'm going to start at verse 7. You know, the reason I, I sort of feel like I want to share this message, and, and you know, it's interesting when you're preparing for a message, I ask myself the question, why? What, what is it, Lord? I'm going to say a whole bunch of things, but Lord, what is it? Why? What do you What do you want? What is it that you want us to hear? What are, you, what are you telling me? At the end of the day, church, what I'm saying is this. In 2023, you and I need to continue to go deeper into our relationship with God. We continue to go build on that place of intimacy. And, and at the same time, God, I want to be more like you. As Colin shared, I want to be more like you. I want you to change me. Exodus chapter 33, verse 7, we're starting from, we're going through to verse 23. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Now John, I mentioned something the other day. He said, well, there's arguments over whether the tabernacle and the tent of meeting are the same thing. Uh, I don't know if he actually gave his own views on that, but my view really is that there was, there was a separation there. There was a tent of meeting and then there was the tabernacle. And it says there, calling it the tent of meeting, anyone inquiring of the Lord. And I just want to highlight that, anyone. It wasn't just Moses. It wasn't just Joshua. It was anyone. Unfortunately, they never did. They never did. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. The tabernacle wasn't outside the camp. They were all camped around the tabernacle. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances of their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. Sometimes, church, we can be busy watching everybody else go and seek God and not seek God for ourselves. Until he entered the tent. And as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped at the entrance to their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face. I want you to remember that. The Lord spoke to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And Moses would return to the camp and his young aide Joshua, the son of Nun, did not leave the tent. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. It's interesting. Previous to that, in a few verses, God is saying to the children of Israel, I'm not going with you. I'm not going into the promised land. But get this. He says, you will still have victory over the giants and you will still take the promised land, but I'm not going. I'm sending an angel. 
Moses here isn't asking for a particular individual to go with him. He's got Aaron. He got Aaron early. When he was going back to Egypt, he said, I can't speak. I need someone to speak for me. And he says, okay, I'll give you Aaron. So Aaron's his speaker. He's got Joshua. Joshua fights his battles. He's not asking for anyone. The issue here is, is that God says, I'm not going. And he's interceding and he's saying, God, who's going to go? I, we need you. That's the context of what's happening here. We don't need a person. We need you. He says, you have said, I know you by name. Other words, God knows everything about him. And you've found favour with me. If you're pleased with me, teach me your ways so that I may know you. I love that. Moses draws this connection between knowing God's ways and then knowing God. If I understand God's ways, I'm going to understand his heart. Once I understand that, I'm going to start to know who he is. It comes when we read his word. If you are pleased with me teaching me your ways that I may know you and continue to find favour with you, remember that this nation is your people. So as I said before, he's not asking for an individual. He's pleading. He's wanting God to go. He's wanting God to be with them and he's appealing to God for this. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, your presence, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. See, now God says, okay, I'll go with you. And Moses is still going, but yeah, if you don't go, don't, we, we won't go. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Okay, so Moses is still banging on about this. And the reason for that is, is that God's presence with them, it was, that was everything to them. Their whole identity was wrapped up in, who, in God. Everything that they were, their worth, their value, was wrapped up in God and God's presence. And Moses is saying, we can't go or else we'll be nothing. What separates us from everybody else? You're it to us. We don't want just the promises. Right? God said you can go up to the promised land, but I'm not going. I don't want just the promises, Moses is saying. I want you. So it's all about identity. It's all about relationship. Is what distinguishes them from everyone else. This is about God being the only one who can change and transform, transform us or transform our lives and to make us look like him. And Moses knows this. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do everything you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. Again, he's saying, I know everything about you. Now when we get to verse 18, it goes up a level. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. And so I'm asking this question, Lord, what's the difference between Moses hanging out in the tent of meeting in, in the presence of God, face to face with God, what's the difference between that and also then his presence going with them, what's the difference between that and, then God, and Moses saying, show me your glory? 
Because something has now shifted in the conversation. And I thought, good question, Steve-O. Okay. Verse 19, and the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. And I'll have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. I'll just repeat that again, verse 20. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on the rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Okay, this is like loaded, folks. Okay, some, when I read this, I just get overwhelmed at times by what God is saying here. Okay, it is awesome. God equates his glory with his goodness and proclaiming his name. Right? In biblical times, the name spoke of a person's destiny, okay, their career, or their sorry, their character or, or their will. It spoke about it spoke everything about who they were, good or bad. When they named the child, that child would live out that name. God's saying that I'm going to reveal my glory and, and, I'm, and it's in the context of his goodness but proclaiming his name. But the Bible at times has some contradictions, right? And we can see that in this chapter there's one of those contradictions. One of the things God put on my heart in relation to this message is this. Can we see God's face and live? Can we see God's face and live? Verse 11, right? We go back to verse 11. It says, Moses spoke with God face to face. But in verse 20, God says, no one can see my face and live. So with this now apparent contradiction, it goes back to this, what God put on my heart, and this is the question, can we see God's face and live? Because God's saying you can't. But yet there's many verses in the Bible that encourages us to seek his face. In Amos chapter 5, verse 4 in particular, it says, seek my face and live. God's going, you can't see my face. No one can see my face and live. You'll die. You'll die. So to reconcile this, we need to look at two words. I'm going somewhere with all this, right? We need to look at two words. The first word is face. Okay, this word is used really in regards to God's presence. And it's implying really a close and personal encounter or relationship with the Lord. So it's not literally seeing a physical face because God is spirit. He's not physical, right? 
So then if God is spirit, then face and back signify various degrees of glory. Moses had been in this place of relationship with him and he'd been experiencing God and it had been obviously very impacting because the rest of the children of Israel just couldn't relate to Moses. Just couldn't relate to him because of his, this relationship he was having with him. But there was this point where he came, and we see this, this point where he came when Moses is going, okay, I'm sitting with you face to face. I've got this relationship happening. And by the way, when you read the, the, the book of Exodus, it's quite impacting. But then it gets to a point where he says, God, show me your glory. It's gone up a notch. So even though Moses spoke with God face to face, God's identity was still hidden from Moses. We know this because the word states God knew, God knew Moses by name, meaning he knew everything about Moses. However, Moses still didn't understand God by name. He didn't understand him. He still didn't know. That's why he says, God, show me your ways that I may know you. That's why he says, God, show me your glory. So God knew Moses by name, but Moses didn't know God by name. Name meaning everything about that person. A few years back, I was just in prayer one day, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit just dropped this prayer in my heart, which I just carry with me all the time. It's, Lord, I want to, I want to walk in your presence and manifest your glory. Walking in your presence, meaning I want to be, I just want to walk in intimacy with you. Where out of that place of relationship with you, I begin to reveal your glory. Everything of who you are. That's what Colin was saying. What does the world see? What do they see? What do they see in our attitudes, our behavior, the words that come out of our mouths? How we do life, how we do family. So God agrees to reveal his glory. That is, he proclaims his name or reveals his identity to Moses. So you think about that. That's just amazing. Here's Moses under a limited covenant. And he just reveals himself to him in such a powerful way that the children of Israel, if they had trouble relating to him before, they definitely did now. But it was so impacting that they had to put a veil over his face. So he reveals his glory to Moses and his glory speaks of his nature. His splendor, his majesty, his power, his love, the beauty of his character. But he also wants to reveal his glory then in you and I. This is his glory, his majesty, his beauty, his power, his love, his character, the very nature of God. And so he says to Moses, you can't see my face, but you'll see my back. So there's a limitation put on Moses. 
Why? Because it's, a, it's, it's the old covenant, what we call the old covenant. There was a limitation there on Moses on what he could experience. But my view, it was so impacting that you could see it all over his face. So Moses knew God to a degree and he wanted, he wanted more. He's going, God, I want more. Show me your glory. The question to us is, do we want more? The second word we need to look at and understand what God meant by no man can see my face and live is the word live. The word live is a great word. It refers to like our mortality or like our physical life. But more than that, it refers to our spiritual life. Right? It's a word that means revived, restored to life, caused to grow, refreshed, and it implies to be strengthened internally. So no man can see my face and live. Right? So when God is saying, you cannot see my face and live, he wasn't talking about a physical death. In other words, he's saying, you can't encounter my glory or experience me on an intimate level and go, that was a nice experience and continue to live like everything is normal. If you see my face, you'll die. No one can see my face and live. No one can ever live a normal life ever again when they get up close and personal with God. No one can see his glory. That is the very nature of who he is, his beauty, the beauty of his character. No one can ever see that and just continue to live life normal and just think that this is what it's all about. No one can. It changes us. It transforms us. You will be dead. So church, if we encounter his glory, we can no longer be satisfied by trying to live by natural means. We die. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, this word live is used again when it says, man does not live by bread alone, but, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's talking about Intimacy. That's talking about, when it talks about hearing God's voice, that's intimacy. It's relationship. You, it's not maybe hearing an audible voice. That's, that's not what it is. But it's hearing him in here. It's seeing him in here. We don't see a physical face. We see God on that spiritual level. Jesus quoted this verse when tempted by Satan in Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 1. And then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that, that comes from the mouth of God. This temptation was not about physical food. It was about the distractions that come to life. The physical things that we think we need to build us up in here, this inner strength. 
the things that we think that we need to, to bring meaning to our life, things that we need to that makes us feel whole and complete, things that make us feel secure, things you think you need to make, make sense out of life or give you that sense of belonging and identity had nothing to do with physical food. And Satan says, turn the stones into bread. How many stones are in our life, church, that we're feeding on them like they're bread? We're feeding on rocks and we're thinking they're bread. Sometimes we're asking Jesus to do this or really we're trying to do it ourselves. Lord, this stone, this rock, I'm going to turn it into bread. I'm going to feed off this rock. Rock is blinged up to look like bread. And we're trying to get it to do something that only Jesus can do. We're trying to get those things, these rocks, to help us to live and have a sense of identity and, and, and wholeness in life. But he says... No one can see my face and live. He wants us to seek him and live. Seek his face. He wants us to come into a place where everything that we are comes from him. Those rocks, well, those stones aren't necessarily wrong. It's just that we've made them to do something that they're not meant to do. And like all good rocks, they can crush us. Okay, I'll give an example, right? Sex is God-given. It's to be enjoyed. God gave us sex for, for, the, for in the context of marriage, outside of marriage, outside of that covenant that's been ordained by God. If, it's, if, it's, if we engage in sex that way, then it's just like a stone or it's a rock and we're thinking it's bread. It's porn. It's porn is just a rock that's going to crush us. Having an affair is the same. We're turning stones into bread. Money's the same. Money's good. We, we, we're commanded to be good stewards. But when we find our identity in money or material things, then we're just basically stoning ourselves. And we're calling it Bread. And we're trying to find identity in these things. We're trying to find wholeness. We're trying to find purpose. We're trying to find meaning. And we're feeding on these things in an effort to live. But every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, it's about intimacy and that's what causes us to live. It's been face to face with him. So either way, church, we're going to die. You're either going to die by a rock or you're going to die by seeing his face. You're going to die by eating rocks and think that you're living, but actual fact, you're not. You're dying inside. Or you're going to see his face and he's, you're going to die to self, but yet in dying to self, you will live. Because the self is dying and the glory of God is being revealed. Can we see his face and live? Are we hungry for his glory? If we live in apathy and lukewarmness and compromise, then we die to our spiritual destiny. 
Why do I say that? Because the children of Israel would not draw near to God. They did not want to have that relationship with him. They were saying, Moses, you go and whatever you hear, we'll do it. Well, they never did it anyway. And that whole generation missed out on going into the promised land. I know this sounds harsh, but sometimes we can miss what God is wanting to do in our lives, fulfilling the destiny in our lives because we're too busy feeding on rocks. And we're calling it bread. So no one encountering his glory can continue to be strengthened, refreshed, revived, and made whole through natural means, through eating stones. No one. But we need to die in order to live because only dead men can see his face and live. We see his glory, we die. We die, we live. We start to live, we continue to die. Only dead men can see his face and live. Someone once said that God wants to kill us off. That's about killing off the old man. God wants to see that old man killed off that we may live. Looking into God's face, that's through intimacy, can bring such transformation into us, into our lives in such a dramatic way that the old man is literally destroyed. The flesh. And what we get is by being face to face with God, by being intimate with him, is that we truly live. We experience that strengthening on the inner man. We experience that sense of being refreshed or revived or restored. Or we experience that sense of, of this growth in God. Because it comes from him. We're encountering his glory. And yes, we die. We die to self, but we live. So what does it say in the New Covenant? Well, today under the New Covenant, we not only have access to his glory, but his glory actually lives within us. Jesus says in John 17, same thing as what's happening here with Moses. He says in this whole dialogue with with God, he says, you know what, God, Father, I've given them your glory. I've given them your glory. Then he goes down a little bit further but he's, and, and he's saying, I want, to, I want them to see my glory. So I'm going to continue, he says, to declare my name. It's happened with Moses. He says, you're going to count on my glory to a degree but, and this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to proclaim my name. Name meaning everything about that person. So you and I, as born again believers, we had the glory of God within us. That is outstanding. As John I said, that we're the temple of God. If we're the temple of God in us, we have the Holy of Holies. If we have the Holy of Holies within us, then we're housing the glory of God. But that's no guarantee that we see a manifestation of his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. This is the New King James, and it says... Um, 
but you're all with unveiled face, beholding or reflecting as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So we've got this glory within us, but yet we're called to go from glory to glory. So the key here is the word behold. Behold means to reflect or to look at and to contemplate. Its definition is to show in a mirror to present a clear, correct image of something or to reflect. In other words, it's to reflect what we have seen in him. So as we contemplate, as we meditate on him, as we see him in the, in the, the eyes of our spirit, as we encounter his glory, right, we're going to reflect that. If I encounter his love, I'm going to reflect his love. I'm going to walk into a room, and I may not even be aware of it, but I'm going to walk into that room, and there may be tension in that room. There may be strife in that room. I can walk in that room, manifest his glory. Man, I'm going to manifest peace. I'm going to manifest that tranquility. I'm going to manifest rest. I'm going to manifest love. I'm going to manifest his glory. But the key there from going from glory to glory is, is, is contemplate. Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Okay, let's go back a little bit. Let's read that. Let's start in verse 7 of 2 Chronicles, and I'll read it. 2 Corinthians, sorry. At verse 7, it says this. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, um, transitory though it is, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? But Paul's really repeating himself here. Verse 12, therefore, since we have such hope, we are very bold. So Paul's got heaps of confidence. We're not like Moses who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. It had limitations. That's why he could only see his back. It was passing away and, he didn't, and they weren't to see that actually. But their minds were made dull for to this day, the same veil remains over the old covenant when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Okay, listen to this. And we all, with, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So the Lord here is the Spirit, which confirms the Trinity. But it's interesting that it doesn't say Saviour. 
It doesn't call Holy Spirit Saviour, it calls Holy Spirit Lord. This is all in the context of you and I being changed and transformed into his image. The world needs to see his glory. So the Holy Spirit is Lord. And when we allow him to search our hearts, convict us of sin, convince us about righteousness, he is, you know, he is, when he is Lord to the point where we allow him to correct us, guide us, direct us, that's where there's freedom. <coughs> That's where there's freedom. That's when we're going from glory to glory. And that comes from relationship. That is relationship. Relationship is this, and I'm making Holy Spirit Lord of my life. He's not just the Savior. He's my Lord. When he's my Lord, I'm going from glory to glory. When he's my Lord, I'm dying. I'm seeing his face. So this contemplating or beholding has to involve the Holy Spirit as Lord over our life, which means that it means that he is, uh, as we're contemplating, we're not striving in our own efforts, we're yielding to him. Right? It's contemplating, it's not striving, folks. It's contemplating. It's in this place of relationship with him where I'm allowing Holy Spirit to be everything that he needs to be to me. It's not intellectual, but it's experiential and it's concrete. And in that way, we begin to reflect his image. It's what we see. It's not how hard we strive that determines what we become. And we're not free unless Holy Spirit is Lord. So if we're still the same person when we were when we first got saved, then we're not living as free men or free women. Or to put it in another way, going from glory to glory is freedom. Remember the definition of glory. That's freedom. And as new covenant believers, we can live, right, we can live with an old covenant mindset. We can live with a veil, not wanting to hear God's voice or draw near to him for relationship, just wanting someone else to hear God for us or live out of our traditions and our rules and never changing. Old covenant mindset. It's like the children of Israel in the book of Exodus. Okay, they go, or before that chapter 33, They've got the opportunity to draw near to God, to come near the mountain. There's a point where he says you can't come. Then he says you now, now you can come. And they say, no, we're not going there. We don't, listen to this. We don't want to hear God's voice and die. That's what they said. They didn't go, oh no, the thunder, the lightning, the smoke, it's going to kill us. They said, no, we don't want to hear God's voice and die. They didn't want to die to self. They didn't want to die to, to Egypt that is still in their lives. That's why they kept mumbling and grumbling. They just wanted Moses to go, you here, and then come and tell us. And then really at the end of the day, we'll determine what we want to do with it. Mum and dad, you hear from God and then we'll do it. No, you won't. 
Pastor, you hear from God and tell us, and we'll do it. No, you won't. I know you don't. And I don't want to tell you. We need to hear from Holy Spirit. We need to hear His voice, which is relationship. But the catch is this, you will die. But yet, you will live. Got to stop eating rocks and calling it bread. What does it all mean for us? It means that we're not, means if we're not seeking his face and not wanting to hear his voice, we're religious. And we have an old covenant mindset. We want to hang on to the things of the world or the aspects of the old man and the culture of the world we live in, and that's eating rocks. And that's what real legalism is or what real religion is. It's not rules and regulations. People go, well, that's religious because there's rules. No, it's religious or legalism when you don't want to draw near to God and hear his voice. That's religion. I'm happy to feed off going to church on a Sunday and walking out the door and going fishing. I'm happy to feed on everything else. But I don't want to draw near. I don't want to hear his voice. That's being religious. I know maybe the sounding a little bit harsh, but it's not about harsh. It's about, it's just this, man, God wants to bring us in to relationship with him, with him, but understanding what real living is about. We're going, oh no, I'm going to lose something instead of thinking about what I'm going to gain. Oh, I can't forgive that person. I can't let go. If I let go, then I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I can't let go. But we're not living when we don't let go. We think we're living. We're not. Let go so you can live. We can have an attitude towards people, resentment, bitterness, whatever you want to call it. We can have this attitude towards people. And you know what? That person may never know. And that person's gone on having an awesome life. And you're just bound up in um, bitterness and unforgiveness. You're the one not living. So let me just say this in finishing. I've said this before. But only, only dead men can see his face and live. Only dead men. That's what God was saying to Moses, really, at the end of the day. You see my face, you're dead. You can't see my face and live. In other words, you can't live normal ever again. It's nothing to do with his physical or his mortality. It's got to do with the spiritual life. So even though 
we can still see God because the veil is lifted. Because of Jesus Christ, that veil has been lifted. So meaning, therefore, we can behold his glory. Even though we've got that, that doesn't guarantee that we will go from glory to glory. What guarantees is you and I beholding him. You and I contemplating who he is. You and I looking, looking at him, seeing ourselves in him and reflecting what we see. Can't go from glory to glory unless we're seeking his face. But the veil of religion or the veil of the flesh can prevent us from doing that. But when we do, when we go after him, when we seek his face, we will find that our value, our identity and our worth and our calling in life is no longer in the rocks that we've been eating, but in him. Because he is the bread of life. So can I encourage you, as I encourage myself, that as we go into 2023, let's make our vision him. Let him be our vision. Let him be the one that is the source of our life, that he is our life. Let him be the one that we're feeding on. Let him be the one that is transforming us into his image. And then we can go from glory to glory. And the world will know. I might just, I'll pray first, Wendy. So, Father, I just thank you. I thank you, Holy Spirit. I thank you, Lord. Help us to yield to you. Oh, Spirit of God, put that in our hearts, Lord, to seek your face. Lord, that that would be the cry of our heart, Lord God, that you would show us your glory. Lord, we are so overwhelmed and thankful that, Lord, that your glory is within us. But, Lord, we want to see a manifestation of your glory. The world needs it. The church needs it. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come and fill our hearts with that desire. Lord, even identify to us the rocks that we've been feeding on, Lord. Show us the things we've been feeding on where we've made them something more than what they're meant to be in our life. Lord, you're the one that makes us live. True living is in you. And I just thank you, Lord. I thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.